0: John McGrath, Troy Malcolm for another Million Dollar Agent podcast.
1: How are you, gentlemen? Tommy, all
2: right.
1: (laughs) All right. That interview you did on Sunday night Uh, last week was amazing with uh, Cousin Vlad, and uh, congratulations to you both. It was thoroughly entertaining.
0: Yeah, well... I think it required a lot of discipline on my behalf because I wanted to laugh every 10 seconds but I knew that that would uh would uh, spoil it uh for him and um highly talented guy John and Troy I actually think that in many ways it's refreshing that you know you can laugh at some of the things that we see in real estate that we sometimes we take it over too serious and there's a there's a small group of agents that you know he uh he was able to sort of have a satirical laugh at and I think what what makes something funny is when there's elements of truth in it but he's a highly talented guy and um, many people don't know uh, uh, John that he's a uh, he's a uh, comes from a long established real estate family in the uh, southern Sydney. Um, his father who I spoke to has been in real estate for 39 years John you know.
1: Yeah and, and as you say very successful I mean I know his dad and, and I had a look at what Sasha's been doing as well. And uh, so it's great to know that it's a successful family and they can have a laugh. And it's great. If someone missed it, Tom, because I saw it live, I was fortunate, where do they see it if they've... Uh, it's, on,
0: it? it's on It's on. the Tom Panos Facebook page. So uh, it's also on Instagram as well. Um, and, um, yeah, look... <laughs> He's. Uh, he, he said to me, "Oh, would you mind doing some coaching with him?" I, I said, "Listen, I'll do it as long as we can videotape it and do it as Vlad and Tom." I thought <laughs> "We'll have a lot of fun." <laughs> oh, very
1: good. Between him and Dick Slider, it's good to know we can laugh at ourselves. hundred percent. we going to talk about today. What's the serious stuff on today's agenda? The serious
0: stuff is we're going to do two questions. You know, and the first question um, that's come in is, "What is the best way to handle a vendor?" who wants to ask you what your fee is on the phone before you go over. So there's a small group of people, Troy and John, that call around. They Mm want to collect information. Um, They, I don't know, sometimes maybe they've got someone in mind that they want to list with and they're on a fact finding mission on what, you know, the other agents charge, or sometimes they're just people that are very analytical and want to get that information. So what do you do? What do you do when a when a real estate agent is asked on the phone, hey, what's your fee?
1: Yeah, good, good question. I actually don't think it, it, well, it shouldn't come up too much because most people, I think, Tom and Troy, when they're looking to sell their property, it's a pretty serious activity and they would generally want to meet you as opposed to buying some tires for your car, at which point people do often just price shop. But I think, Look, I'm 100%, as you guys know, around the transparency issue, but I also know if you fall into the trap of just giving a number to someone who's on the phone saying just, you know, I'm doing some research how much, the possibility or the likelihood of you getting that listing is almost zero and you're almost just giving away control. And and I would like to see that just like you wouldn't ring a doctor and say how much would you charge me or a lawyer, or I guess some would, but, you know, you, I wouldn't and I don't think most people would. You kind of want to have a consultation so I don't think upfront and direct transparency in this instance actually works for you or indeed for them because what what they're going to end up if you play that game time is they're going to probably end up with the lowest tenderer who's invariably not the best agent so I think it's it's a reasonable it's a reasonable position to protect your fee and I would say Tom the fee that we'll come up with together is really going to depend on the property yourself the situation there's a a range of factors but here's what i can tell you tom my clients when they use me tell me that i'm not the cheapest but whatever they pay me more than others it was worth it and and i think something like that and i've you know i just invented that out of thin air and people could work on it and develop a better approach but uh, that that's my view because i like to introduce as troy knows well social proof so rather than saying well you know, I'm not going to be the cheapest. I say, here's what my clients say, Tom, my clients say that I'm not, I wasn't the cheapest person they spoke to, but they're really glad they hired me and whatever I paid, they paid me a little bit more. They think was worth it. And I think if that doesn't kind of get you moving towards a face to face appointment, it's almost a situation where you wonder whether you're better off to have it. And they say, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to invite you over unless you give me the fee. You may be best to avoid that piece of business. Um, if someone were to then sort of say something along the lines, Tommy and Troy, of, um, well, you know, it's important to me because, you know, I, I need to know before I you know go forward is what are the sort of costs involved. Um, then, then I'd be probably saying something to the effect, and we say this often on, on this podcast, words to the effect of, you know, I guess, Tom, it's really important to ask yourself. The question is, are you looking for the cheapest agent or the best outcome in this scenario? or in this process. And most people, sensible people, would say, well, you know, ideally both, but I obviously want the best agent. But I think you've got to get into a bit of a discussion. And, uh, you know, I often say I hate it when agents tell riddles and they camouflage things. But I do think in terms of price shoppers on the phone, if you're a professional, you hold yourself out to be a professional and like a doctor or or a lawyer or an accountant, I don't think you're really doing yourself uh, or the customer, by the way, the client, um, any favours by just quoting a fee because you kind of want to lose it to nothing that'd be my view Troy. i don't know if you've got anything to add but i do think you lose c- control at that point you know you, you may as well not win the business
2: uh, i agree i think if anyone's calling and asking for the fee over the phone without really having that consultation john and tom there's warning signs and bells are going off in the back of my mind Um, I would almost be certain that if they were going to shop you on price they wouldn't be ones that would want to be investing in marketing or the process and the strategy that has maximized price for your previous clients and the thing about that is that you know you're going in out of control uh, in that presentation. If you do get called in, you don't really have a clear strategy uh, based on prior experience. The social proof element doesn't really come into it. And, you know, I'd be asking them the question of why is paying the cheapest price or the cheapest fee so important to you in the sale of your greatest asset? I think, Troy, that's exactly right. When, when, um that's where I was going with
1: at some point if you extend the conversation and they say well it is important I do need to know it I think you then say sort of I'd love you to talk me through your thinking because obviously I get to do this every day and I get to deal with sellers every day and I'm fortunate that a lot of people do engage me to sell their property and and it feels to me based on the feedback I'm never the cheapest fee but they're very happy once the job's done so I think you just have an honest conversation around that and, and it can depend on the circumstance. If someone says, I'm going to give you $20,000 marketing and, I, and I'm I'm going to put a, you know, a very realistic reserve and but I want you to give me a little bit of a deal on fee, you might decide commercially to actually do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, beware phone fee shoppers. Don't lose control uh, in their best interests as well as yours. Talk them through the importance of the choosing the right agent. Sorry, Tommy, did I interrupt?
0: No, no, no. I think um, you've both uh, made some very, you know, valid points. That um, there's this fine line between um, telling people, you know, the information they want to have, but on the on the other hand, you're also sort of suggesting that it's highly unlikely there's going to be a positive resolution for for both parties if you never meet up and actually see the property and, you know, suss out what the whole situation is.
1: And, and Tommy, you know, you've often said, you know, not all business is a business. We've all, all three of us have said it on this podcast. And I think this may well be one. If, if they're not going to meet you face to face to have a business conversation without you quoting a, a, a fee, that might be one of those uh, pieces of business that falls into that category.
0: I've got a client um, called Shane uh, Broadbank. I may have said his name, his surname, not 100% correct, but he's an exceptional agent, writes over $2 bucks in New Zealand. And he says in situations like that, and it's sometimes even at a listing presentation when people aren't going to do the business with you there and then and the fee's sort of still hanging in the air, he'll often say, listen, I'd like to work with you Um I like your property. I think your expectations are realistic. Um, It's obvious that you're not in a position to sort of make a decision at this time. I know that you wanna have an idea on fee and what I'd like to say to you is that um, there are plenty of instances where I end up working with a proposed fee that a client puts to me if I think that um, it's doable. So all I'd suggest you do is when the time's right for you to make that, come to me and I'm happy to work with a proposed fee that you may suggest. And he says to me that quite often if he's visited the property um, and they've really connected, um, that he gets a phone call and people call him up and say, hey, listen, you know, this is where we're at. And often they propose a fee at a higher level than what he may have done the business at.
1: Yeah, or or potentially a sliding scale, which is more than reasonable as well, which gets you to a higher figure. So, yeah, I I think, you know, look, most agents are not totally inflexible on fee. Most people would be prepared to do something, give a little bit to get a good listing and and create a new client, I think. uh, But also most certainly the good ones that listen to our our, our podcast, uh, I think are well-trained and they're professional and they're
2: also not going to sell themselves, uh, undersell themselves. So, yeah, I think, The other thing, John and Tom, is to make sure uh, as agents, as representatives, as real estate professionals, we really understand what our value is and what services we actually offer clients that makes us uh, have that fee and justify that fee to them because uh, John, you've said multiple times, if um, if agents are all comparable, then it will come down to price and fee. Um, so what is your personal values? What are you doing consistently? What's your track record? Uh, how do you access buyers? What unique system are you taking your clients on to deliver that premium price? And if you can't articulate that, if you can't really display that to the client, then most times they will go back to, well, how cheap can I get it? Yeah, if, if you if you're not a standout, in fact, if everyone does look the same, of
1: course, they would choose the lowest tender, just like you'd buy a car for the cheapest price if they're all identical. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Number two, Tommy, what's what else is on our uh, Q&A? Yeah,
0: question will do um, today, and um, we'll make that the final question for the podcast because this will probably take five or ten minutes to answer, and that is how do you beat an agent that has a very strong track record in your marketplace and offers a very competitive fee as well and we see this sometimes sometimes you see sometimes you see a very dominant agent that's had a long standing in the community and for whatever reason and I know a couple in in the Sydney marketplace actually and I know a couple in Melbourne now that I think about it that probably could be charging more than what they're charging, but they've got the profile, they've got the track record, but they're also going at a low fee. And I think the person that's written this question is, how do you compete against a situation like that?
1: Yeah, good question. I hear it a lot in our in our team and generally in the industry as you guys do. So here, here's my perspective. My mind shift, paradigm shift for everyone is just because an agent has a track record, don't hoodwink yourself that they're that damn brilliant because most of them aren't. They're there because they're a logical choice in many people's eyes because often they've got mediocre competition, hopefully excluding yourself in that if you're the, the agent. And I have been in many a lounge room with one of the better agents or, or if a dominant agent doing a conjunction, as I've said before, and I'm wondering, my God, how did they ever get to this position? Because the advice they're giving, the preparation they've done, the research up until this point, is clearly well below what I would normally do. So I think you've got to be very careful because a lot of, especially newer agents, Tommy, they come into it and they think, oh, God, you know, Tom pannell God, he's got 40% market share and every second board is his, etc." That doesn't mean they're unbeatable. Um, so I think first thing you've got to do is just get out of your head that, you know, that, that they are an unbeatable. That would be the first thing. Second thing is you've got to say, so what is the benefit of dealing with you albeit you don't have the track record as yet, but what are the other things you bring to the table? So as Troy just said on the previous question, how do you add value? How are you being creative? I mean, I'll do a brain session with my team often before they go for a listing, and I'll say, so Troy, give me three reasons that they absolutely should hire you. And then Troy, if he's done his homework, he'll say, well, you know, because of this, because of this, and I'm connected to this community, and now we've got... 3,457 buyers on our database ready to go and we've got the strongest social media following and I can, you know, and if if Troy's answers are credible and strong, he's halfway there. The other, Then the next thing I ask, Tom, is so what are, What are two or three things that they may have a concern with? Well, I've only been in the industry six months and I've only made six sales. I've got raving fans, but I don't have a track record as long as your arm. Um, and then we try and counter that. So what's what's the benefit of that? And and the reality is a lot of high volume agents and those that are fee discounting, that is a a business plan they have. So they think, well, look, I'm happy to do eight a month if I can get 1.5% or 1.25%, whatever the number is. I'm happy to do that and I'll roll them over and I've got a team of two people around me and I'll delegate most of the stuff to them. And I think without disparaging directly any competition because that's never a good strategy in my eyes, You can often say, Tom, look, there's a couple of approaches to real estate. I happen to have a bespoke boutique approach, if you will, which means I look after a relatively small number of clients at any given point in time and I give them what I call VIP six-star service and I delegate nothing. You will always deal with me. And if you are starting out or if you are a lower volume agent at this point of your career, that's probably a reality. You probably don't have An assistant or two. Uh, Others, Tom, it'd be fair to say in the industry, and they're not hard to find, they go for a high volume, they discount their fee, they often take uh, more property on than they can always handle, and they delegate a lot to junior people in the team. That's a choice, that's an option. And of course, you know, some people will choose that option, but let me talk you through my approach and the seven reasons that I believe I've developed a plan and the seven points of that plan that are going to maximize your price. So I think it's, what's my summary of that? One one is don't assume that an agent that has track record is damn brilliant at either what they do or presenting how they do it. Often they're complacent, they can be a touch arrogant, they can even be a bit lazy, and um, they're not always the best choice, but people get, get a little bit spooked by them. Then work out how you can add more value. What's your secret sauce that they may not have? And then be prepared to kind of put out there a little bit of a of a benchmark and say, well, there's two ways you can go. You know, some people shop at Target and other people shop at David Jones. I guess it really depends on the on the service experience you want. Here's how I believe we get better prices. Here are our six steps. So but you've got to have those six steps. You've got to have that down pat and you've got to have confidence in your own ability.
2: Over to you, Mr. Troy, Malcolm. Well, I was going to say to add into that, John and Tom, I'd be also getting a really clear understanding of what makes the other agent successful. Um, you know, working out what their strengths are and where they have become complacent or slightly arrogant, I think that's a really good opportunity to show value in the market um, by just, you know, going that extra mile to... Uh, having a unique method that would deliver results for clients. Do you do um, open for inspections on a Sunday? Do you have multiple team members at every single property? Does every single team member in the office walk through the property during a caravan? Uh, Does every property have a video? What are the things that make you stand out? So it's a similar answer to the first question. uh, In some regards, you're really trying to find what makes you unique. How do you stand out against the competition? um, And then how do you provide value without just focused on price in an area? And then it's yeah, a competition yeah, and then you've yeah. just got to out-compete, out-passion, out-pace uh, those people that are the market-dominant people because there will be someone out there that's a vendor that's looking for someone with new energy, a fresh approach. Uh, and, John, I think you're right. Sometimes they do get complacent and I think potential clients, mm-hmm. pipeline clients, vendors, they notice that as well in the market.
1: Yep. I 100% agree. Out-passion, out-listen, out-prepare. And, Tommy, it's amazing the number of, or the very few people that do the pre-work before. I mean, obviously, we've talked about things like, you know, pre-listing questions, pre-listing package, delivering it to people, do your research, all that's sort on of good stuff. But that's almost becoming somewhat standard. Well, amongst the good agents, that's becoming standard. So you've got to up your game. And, and having a workshop with your principal or sales manager, or even one of your peers beforehand, What are the three reasons that they absolutely should be listing with you? And if they had any concerns, two or three, what would they be if you were them that would have some reservation and some questions about whether you're the best choice? If you spend half an hour beforehand mentally preparing and then having a discussion and practicing your dialogue, I'm going to tell you, you will double your listing volume or your listing uh, ratio just by doing that little bit of extra uh, pre-work.
0: I think that's gold guys and the more I listen to you I'm beginning to think to myself in certain ways maybe it's these high profile um, very successful long-standing agents that might have an issue in competing with a newer agent because there are certain strengths that the newer agent has i.e example and I've seen this sometimes a newer agent has got the appetite the energy and the time to help help the vendor um at a property that they 're buying at auction they 'll go with them to lots of auctions they 'll help them find another property they 'll be at their houses at eight o 'clock at night whereas you know some of the uh, uh more experienced agents will feel like getting their listing is a is an entitlement, not a privilege and i think that and I think that vendors can pick that up. I think vendors can pick up new business energy they can pick up the fact that this person 's probably going to try harder and they 're not going to be put into. Um, feeling like they're just a, another commodity in a, a cookie-cutter approach. So I think it's been well said, guys. And I think most importantly, don't get intimidated.
1: I just want to add something there, Tommy, because I just thought while you are saying that, those were great points. Everyone listening to this podcast is potentially six listings away from being somewhat market-dominant. The market-dominant person, doesn't matter what they were doing three years ago, one year ago, it matters what they're doing now. If you up your game, up your intensity, increase your listing skills and do whatever it takes so in the next four or five weeks, you actually outlist them on a few, all of a sudden you can become the market dominant in real time. So whatever they market share they had in the first quarter of the year or a year ago is irrelevant. It's only what are you doing today. So it's it's interesting that the, the, the game can change pretty quickly But you've got to put the work in. If you keep turning up right now and there's someone market dominant above you, if you're not changing what you're doing, the status quo will remain. But if you really increase, and and I've heard it with some of our guys, sometimes our best people have said, oh, my God, this new guy's come in and I was all over him and I was winning everything and all of a sudden I don't know what he's doing, but he's beaten me for three listings. And it's interesting how quickly rattled some top performers can get when you get in there. And the, when we've sort of debriefed and sort of dug into it, it's often been I say, well, what do you think it could be? And you know what? They come down they say, Troy, they say, I reckon complacency. I thought I had it in the bag. I sold them the property. I kind of, you know, didn't follow up as quickly as I should have. And this is common, uh, common in, in situations where someone's market dominant. So outlist them, outpassion them, outprepare them, go faster, go harder than anyone else. And you might just become the market dominant agent by Christmas or by first thing in the new year. All you need is to switch a few listings around. Switch them around, as Vlad would say. Switch it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All righty. John and Troy, thank you so much. Two great questions, real-life practical questions and practical solutions. I look forward to seeing or speaking to you both uh, next week. And a big shout-out. Phil Harris called me this morning to tell me baby boy number two is on the way in the next few days, oh, expecting okay. any day now. So our good friends at uh, the podcast and training and Eric and um, in the gym. So feel all the best, uh, John and Troy. I'll talk
1: to you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you again next week. Bye-bye.